0: Welcome to Deep Dive, Coaching for Creatives, with me, Coach Cami. In each episode, we'll be covering the basics of deep inner work, the hardest and most important work you can possibly do for yourself. I've been where you are, stuck with self-limiting beliefs and other subconscious roadblocks, and no idea how to get past them. I've been through this process myself. I want to help you become your best you. You deserve it. In this episode, you'll get to meet my mentor and coach, Peleg Top. Like me, Peleg started out as a creative and made the transition to coaching as he began to listen to and trust his instincts and intuition. We'll be talking about self-care and self-love and what that entails. Then we'll learn about Peleg's nine ways of being that you won't want to miss. Ready to dive deep? My guest today is the master of self-love, the amazing Peleg Top. If you've heard any of my podcasts, you've heard how much... I talk about Peleg and his impact on me. And I want to share a little bit of his good juju with everyone else. And thank you for being a part of this today, Peleg.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So the abundance prayer, this is something that Peleg shared with me during our 100 days program, the creative high growth program. And every time I heard it, a different line resonated with me. So let's dive in, shall we? Let's. Divine love, allow me to give with complete ease and abundance, knowing that you are the unlimited source of all. Let me be an easy, open conduit for your prosperity. Let me trust that all my own needs are always met in amazing ways and that it's safe to give freely as my heart guides. And equally, let me feel wildly open to receiving. May I know my own value, beauty, and worthiness without question. Let me allow others the supreme pleasure of giving to me. May I feel worthy to receive in every possible way. Change me into one who can fully love, forgive, and accept myself, so I may carry love without restriction. Let everything that needs to go, go. Let everything that needs to come, come. I am utterly your own. You are me. I am you. We are one. All is well. So when, when I think of self-love and self-care, I have certain things to come to mind, and I'm sure other people do too, but what comes to mind when you think of self-love and self-care?
1: Uh, self-love and yeah. self-care means <laughs> having a high regard for my own well-being, for my happiness. It means taking care of my needs and not sacrificing my well-being to please others. And the inner work that we do helps us figure out what self-love actually looks like for us individually because it looks very different for every person. But it is a crucial part of our well-being and our mental health.
0: I would have to agree with that. What would you say self-love isn't? Because I know a lot of people kind of get it wrong.
1: What self-love isn't? Wow. It's it's so, mu- so much of how we experience ourselves in our everyday life is what self-love isn't. What self-love isn't is it isn't being judgmental of myself. It isn't making fun of myself. It isn't.
0: So self deprecating humor is right out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right out. Right out. It it works well in stand-up comedy, you know, but that's part of a shtick. Mm-hmm. I think in everyday life it can be exhausting. Self-love isn't saying yes to everything, to everybody. Self love self-love, self-love is, is about learning to say no.
0: So having boundaries.
1: Having boundaries, exactly. Knowing what healthy boundaries Uh, look like and sound like and feel like. What about you? What is self-love to you?
0: It is a, it's a concept that was relatively new to me because I always thought putting yourself first was selfish or narcissistic. And to put your own needs in front of others for a long time was, oh no, that's not something you do. That's no, that's a bad thing. But through through everything that I've learned, I realized that it's, it's paramount to being able to take care of anything else in my life. I have to come first, mainly because no one else is going to put me first. Even, even my husband and my, my mom, my kids, they're not going to put me first unless, you know, my health is at risk or something. And it shouldn't be that way. I should come first to me. They should come first to them. And I think of self-love and self-care as, as your, your solid core, your your innermost self. And so I'm talking physical, mental, emotional, creative, spiritual, and my, my concept of self is a five-part whole. And if that whole is solid, if your core is solid and taken care of, then you have a greater capacity to take care of the next circle out from your core, which is your loved ones, that's your spouse, your parents, your kids, your significant other. And you have, it, when your core is, is solid, you have, you have the capacity to really take care of other people. And then outside the next circle is your paying work. And then outside of that circle is your community and that's your volunteer work. And those are the things that you do because you love doing them. But if your core is half full or if you've been half-assing your self-care, If you're tired, if you're not eating well, if you're not exercising, if you're not, if you're cruel to yourself and your self-talk, then the next circle out, your loved ones, they're going to suffer. Your paying work is going to suffer. And your community, it's going to be non-existent. So that that core to me, like taking care of that solid five-part core is self-love to me.
1: That's absolutely beautiful. And I agree with everything you said. And what what tends to happen when we don't experience self-love in that way, when we actually experience a self-love deficit mm-hmm. and that, that deficit part is where we suffer. And it's, it's just like in your beautiful diagram but the core if there's a deficit in the core there's going to be a deficit that deficit is going to grow into the other circles as well yeah. there's going to be a deficit in your relationship there's going to be deficit in your work there's going to be deficit in your bank account
0: yes very much so
1: <laughs> so how do we how do we practice that right because self-love is such a you know it's a term that's being overused these days and I often find that we concentrate on the things we need to do in order to practice self-love. And I want to pull, pull back a little bit and rather look in the doing part of self-love, look at the being part of self-love.
0: Mm, yeah. Cause we so are
1: self-love it, less than a practice and more of a way of being. Yes. Follow me?
0: Yes, and and I think something that you said a while back resonated with me and that we are human beings not human doings.
1: Yeah, I had to learn that the hard way.
0: Oh, I want to hear yeah. that story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the 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 spiritual awakening that that I experienced in my late 30s was really around realizing that I didn't really know how to love myself. I didn't even understand or heard of the concept of self-love and what that looks like. You know, I thought getting a massage once a month was self-love. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so what, <laughs> Getting good sleep was self-love.
0: Well, it, it those things can those be, things, bo- but what is sure. the, what was the tipping point that made you realize that?
1: Ah. Uh, when I came face to face with my inner critic, I realized, how out of control he was and how he sucked up all the air in the room. There was no room for self-love because he was just running the show.
0: Oh, so that, that critical inner voice that nags and condemns and criticizes.
1: Yeah. He turned me into a perfectionist, into an overachiever, into, uh, you know, very success driven goal driven uh, person that, um, experienced much success and much um ego growing years.
0: Yeah, didn't because you had your own agency, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I had a design agency for 20 years. I started really early. I started it around the age of 20 and
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Well, started as freelance, you know, just like uh, most of us do. Yeah. And then my ambition took the better part of me and you know, I dove into creating this dream design agency, which I managed to create, and it was amazing, and it was an amazing uh, process. I, I look at those years with many fond memories and, and much growth that needed to happen inside of the work t- itself. <clears throat> but what was driving, driving that, that process, driving that growth, w- was fear.
0: Oh. Fear of not
1: being good enough, fear of not looking good, fear of failure, fear of uh, fear of being alone, fear of not belonging.
0: fear driven,
1: yeah, yeah. it wasn't until uh, all that ego growing activities and way of being began to feel. Shallow, we began to feel there was something missing. Oh. And it showed up as what I thought was depression, thought I was depressed. Okay. But what I didn't realize was that I wasn't really depressed. It was, my soul was empty.
0: And what made you understand that, that it was your soul being empty and not depression?
1: The spiritual teacher that I met helped me see that in me. Because I tried traditional therapy and most of the therapists wanted to put me on medication, medication. To help control the mood. I didn't want to go that route. It just something told me, no, 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 this is this is this is deeper than that. Lean into it. And um, I was in a period of really kind of searching for guidance. I mean, my antennas were up for a couple of years. Until very randomly, uh, one of my closest friends, who knew that I was looking for support, looking for a, th- a therapist that's that I can really connect to, when she said, "You know, why well, about you know consider spiritual direction? There's a teacher I want you to meet. How about you go have a session with him?" And I was very reluctant, but I trusted this person very much, and I knew that she was coming from a place of love and i'll be eternally grateful for her pointing pointing the way. Yeah. And it wasn't until i had that first session, that first conversation with that spiritual teacher that i i heard words that resonated for the first time because he helped me see that i'm really not living from creative free spirit.
0: What were the that words? I'm, Do you remember?
1: Well, the the words What was interesting was, and what resonated for me is that he very quickly was able to just see my soul. Mm. Really be real about it and ask me the kind of questions that no one has asked me until that point in my life. Yeah. Questions that really hit home, hit my heart. Questions that I was afraid to ask myself.
0: Mm, What kind of questions? I'm so curious. Do you remember?
1: The particular of the questions are not as important as what he was able to hear between Mm. the lines and bring out. Yeah. That was almost like magic to me Mm -hmm. for someone to actually really understand what I'm trying to ask, what I'm really seeking, because I didn't have the language to actually express what was going on. So he became a beautiful mirror to me, to help me see me, see myself.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to be able to to when you find a coach or you find a mentor like that 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 you're able to see them holding up the mirror that you understand what you're what you're what they're reflecting back is you.
1: Yeah. One thing that he said at the end of that session, which at the time I honestly don't think I heard because I, I didn't have the type of listening that, that I have today. But 10 years later, I listened to a recording of that session. I have recorded all the sessions and a lot of uh, the work that happened in those sessions is what I teach in the 100 Days uh, program. But as I was listening to that first session, he said to me, At the end, he said, you will actualize yourself when you learn and teach others how to love themselves and how to create from free spirit. Mm. Like I said, I didn't even hear it at the time. How to love myself? What does that mean? Creating from free spirit? What does that actually mean? I mean, I hear the words and I understand what the words mean, but... I didn't really understand what the words really meant, Mm -hmm. but that opened the door to a, to a new path of personal growth for me that led me to where I am today. You know, it was a a few years into my work with him that I began to realize that I am very attracted to this work and I want to be able to sit in his chair Mm -hmm. and support people in the same way that I was supported and I was healed.
0: Nice. And how long do you think that process was for you to wake up enough to understand what self-love was? Was it like after the first couple of sessions? Was it after the first couple of years or just gradual? What do you think?
1: You know, it it was a gradual process. It was a, uh, healing of layers that helped me understand what self-love really looks like i had to go through a lot of crap first <laughs> yeah. i had to go into the darkness and i think that's one of the reasons that i was so afraid to do the work because i knew that that dark place i'm really scared of entering that space
0: yeah if she gets stuck
1: well, it's terrifying, because yeah. that means I have to face my dragon. I really have to face my dragon, and I didn't feel that I was strong enough, honestly,
0: yeah,
1: and I think that is the power of a of a good teacher of a good mentor mm-hmm. is to be able to create the safety for the person to walk into the darkness and feel like they're not alone, yeah. And they have the tools that they need and they're learning new tools to support themselves inside of that space. And that's one thing that I realized very early on that if I really needed to do this work, if I wanted to do this work and really help people, I needed to be able to stand in their darkness with them and not have it influence me, my light. And I wasn't there yet. Oh, yeah. Because I wasn't, I was still in my own darkness. Yeah. So, my process before I really honestly started mentoring people and supporting them in their spiritual journey, oh, it took years. Yeah. Almost, I think the first three years was just me doing my inner work before Mm -hmm. mentoring anyone.
0: Definitely. Well, in that darkness, I understand the fear there. Sometimes when you go through garbage, it's sticky. It sticks onto you. You don't realize how much you brought with you. And I remember going through the 100 days process. I felt like I was running a gauntlet through this this inner part of me that was dark and had sticky corners. And each little, each pass through or each corridor I had to clean as I went and I had a really bright light and I had to shine it in all the corners. And it felt like this is so exhausting and so amazing and so worth it, but learning those those corners of myself and healing those corners of myself was was just integral to understanding how much self-love I didn't have that I thought I did. Like, oh no, I'm good. I'm good in that department. It's and looking back, I think did have I did I actually forgive myself for X, Y, and Z? Oh, I don't think I did not all the way. <laughs> or did I blame myself for things that weren't my fault? Oh, yeah. So um, for me, at least the 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 process of shining that that light onto the the inner your inner landscape that's dark and for me very sticky, um, cobwebby and <laughs> um, was. Acknowledging the either the mistakes I made in the past or the trauma that I went through in the past and loving that part of myself anyway. And that was, that was like you said, it it wasn't overnight. (laughs) It certainly wasn't overnight. It took a long time. I there are still parts of me that I think, okay, that that's probably something I need to shine a brighter light on. There's even aha moments. I woke up at two o'clock this morning thinking, uh, having an aha moment about, um, about trauma and the role it played in a very specific circumstance. So it's like, Hmm, I'm still learning.
1: Yeah. The learning and the healing doesn't really stop. Thankfully. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thankfully. I mean, the, the, the term, the wounded healer is, is a term that uh, I, I really resonate with.
0: Same. <clears throat> I've know, not, not heard that, that before.
1: I, Not that I really want to call myself a healer. Really, I, I don't have the power to heal people. That's not really what this work is about. Um, I know that I have the skill and the ability to help facilitate a healing process for a person because, you know, you can only heal yourself.
0: And Yes, exactly. You know, so,
1: <laughs> But the wounded part is, is, is something that I am resonating with on a daily basis because even though I've done a lot of work healing my own, childhood trauma and wounds that woundedness is is the space of growth and now i i welcome that space in my life Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as i grow older as i continue my life's journey the wound even though it's healed to most mostly (laughs) there's still dark corners to it that show up
0: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes
1: in surprising ways and unexpected ways.
0: Always surprising ways for me.
1: (laughs) And and those are the areas that are our growing edge as teachers, as mentors. I want to know that whoever guides me in my process, whoever stands in the darkest with me, has looked at their own shit, is doing the work, is not just done the work, you know, got the certificate on the wall and that's it from now on. They're just... Helping others, but they're continuously healing. They're continuously doing their own work. They're continuously stepping onto that edge.
0: Yeah, exactly. So the work
1: doesn't really stop. It just evolves.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It becomes deeper. It becomes more meaningful. It becomes, you know, the wound rather than something to be afraid of and run away from, it becomes my friend.
0: Yeah, it's the place where growth happens.
1: Yeah, I'm able to be inside of that space and not feel like I'm I don't have the the ability to be with it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: work with it Mm -hmm. work through it
0: yeah when you think about self-love and the role it's played in your healing and in your transformations what is something that you think is absolutely pivotal in a daily practice or a or in a even a mindset that, that started your journey towards
1: self-love. I believe it was when I began to really look at self-love as a way of being and really understand what ways of being I need to practice. I need to be more mindful of, I need to pay attention to, I need to step into in order for me to know that I am in a healthy self-love place.
0: Okay, so if I'm coming, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
0: If I'm coming to you for the first time and I'm not quite sure what self love is, what would be a good thing for me to think about or be more mindful of to get me started on that path?
1: Well, one of the first things that I like to explore with people when we first meet and when we first have our first conversation is really get a a glimpse of where are they in their, in their journey of knowing what they want, of listening to their desire. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And I ask them to express that. What are your deepest desires? And generally, their deepest desires will tell me where they are in their jer- self-love journey in how much they feel they really deserve what they desire.
0: Oh yeah. That's how big. much they
1: really feel worthy about it. And that's a starting point that's very different for every individual. So there's no prescription, but there's the diagnostic first.
0: Yeah. A lot of a lot of my coaching clients once they realize, you know, I don't I don't think I've been able to do this because I didn't think I deserved this. And that light bulb goes on, I just want to cheer for them because, yes, that is so important to realize y- you you have to believe you deserve it or it's not coming your way
1: <laughs> well, self-worth is is um, a huge part of practicing self-love. it's it's and and self-worth is something that doesn't happen just in our mind. It has to happen in our heart. Mm-hmm. It has to. We have to embody the idea of self-worth, really walk through the world believing that we're worthy. Mm-hmm. Most of us are are, are, are raised and, and evolve with a belief that we're not enough, yeah. that we're not worthy, Yeah, that we don't deserve.
0: Yep. And, the, and The phrase, I'm not blank enough fill in the blank with whatever comes up so often. I'm not blank. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough, old enough, young enough. Yeah. Good enough. What is
1: that? What is that enough? Who decides what that enough is? Yeah. Right. Well, society kind of dictates to us what enough looks like or, or, or can look like by, you know, just the virtue of living in the western world and being exposed to advertising in the news you know yeah so how would we actually know how what's enough what 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 do we what are we using to measure ourselves by if it's about that
0: if it's extrinsic it's probably false if it's intrinsic it's a really good start much better start than adopting some extrinsic something you saw or something somebody told you because the chances of it being authentically, you are very slim.
1: Well, there is no such thing as enough. We can't really measure our worth, right? It's not possible. We can't put, there's a no measuring stick that year.
0: says worth,
1: <laughs> right? There's no, but we use money and as a currency to measure worth, you know, we look at wealthy people and, and you know, they, they, we, we envy that. We, we want that. We believe that we we need to reach a level of financial success in order to feel good about ourselves. We and that is expressed in in so many ways for so many for different people based on. What is it that would make me look like I'm worthy? So I can, if I look like I'm worthy on the outside, maybe I'll feel like I'm worthy on the inside. But that doesn't generally work.
0: No, it has to go in the other order, doesn't it? You have to feel worthy first, and you have to feel you are successful first and happy first before success, because happiness always precedes success.
1: If I keep, if I keep thinking that. I'm not enough. And I put so much time and energy into creating my outside world to help me feel better about my inner world, about who I am on the inside. I'm basically in, stuck inside of a loop of always trying to make the outside better, hoping that, or bigger, hoping that my inside way of measuring my own worthiness will will grow as well but it doesn't it doesn't work like that it just creates a deeper deficit
0: yeah yeah
1: and the the beautiful thing that happens is when we are truly operating from a place of of self-love and self-worth when we truly feel like we're worthy our external world becomes very simple Mm-hmm. There's there's really not a need to push ourselves to create the image that we want to project into the world. It becomes much simpler. Our relationships become much more authentic because we're not afraid to walk away from toxic people in our lives. You know, leave a job or a career that just doesn't speak to us anymore. We we actually listen to that inner voice as our guide versus doubting it all the time.
0: Yeah, listening to your inner critic as opposed to your higher self. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's talk about our higher self for just a moment because I know that's a foreign concept to a lot of people. Um, my the previous episode is on inner critic and i haven't yet uh, released anything about higher self yet i like to think of of inner critic is the one who nags and your higher self is the one who's your cheerleader but it's so much more than that how would you describe your higher self
1: the voice of love
0: so inner critic would be the voice of fear
1: yeah that's exactly it
0: nice ding 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 so simple <laughs> <laughs> i yeah. love it
1: So we have both voices in us. The question is, which one do we prefer to listen to? (laughs) Which one we listen to? Which will we? Which will we give the microphone to? Mm -hmm. Am I going to give my? Well, my inner critic is almost um, um, well for most, especially creative people. You know, inner critic has hijacked that microphone, and he's holding on to (laughs) it no matter what. And the inner work that we do is is really about taking that microphone away, learning learning how to take that microphone away from the inner critic and give it to the voice of our higher self and listen to what our higher self has to say.
0: Yeah, that takes slowing down enough to, to not only to recognize the difference between your inner critic's voice and your voice and your higher self's voice and your voice, but to get familiar enough with them that when those voices do come up, you recognize, oh, wait, that's the voice of fear. Or wait Mm -hmm. a minute, that's that feeling. That's a, that's a higher, that's a, that's a feeling from love. I need to listen to that a little more closely. Let me slow down a little bit and, and, and have a deeper listen.
1: Yeah. I, I believe that we have the ability and the power and the strength to love ourselves, to be compassionate to ourselves, to be our own parents. Mm -hmm. We have the capability and the ability to reparent ourselves. And that's really what my self-love journey has been about. It was about learning to reparent myself, to provide to my inner child the love and support that he didn't receive when he was incapable of dealing with the world he had no tools
0: yeah yeah inside of of reparenting yourself and and providing your inner child what it is that you didn't get or even if your parents provided it you may not have been in a position to receive it perfectly even if it was perfectly given i've read a lot about it this summer during my my little break um there's a great book called how to do the work by nicole Lapera and another one called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk and both of those address the the times when when we're children and we don't have those tools we don't have either the language or the understanding or the mental capacity to process the things that have happened to us and and to understand what happened and as as an adult, you can look back and go, wow, that was a really shitty situation. There's no way I could have handled that. And you give yourself a little grace and you forgive yourself a little more. Um, that's been a lot of my journey. Has, are, is that resonating with you? Does that sound familiar to your journey?
1: Yeah, to a degree. To a degree. Um, I find that would I catch myself in a, a place where I, I fall asleep to myself? and fear kicks in the higher self part of me needs to be summoned right it's it's because in that dark space it's it's hard for me to to just simply pull myself out without doing any any type of 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 work and it is a is a it's a constant parenting process it makes sense just because i'm 54 doesn't mean that i um that my inner child is completely healed it is a it is a constant process of healing and, and and particularly as creatives as artists i think that our our wounds they, they tend to go deeper. They tend to, they tend to last longer. I don't know what that is. I believe about. that.
2: <laughs> I don't know
1: what it is about. And this is one of the reasons that I love working with creative people because there is such depth, and there's su- there's such a, um, a promise that once once we really learn how to care for our inner child and, and that that looks like self-love. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's about learning to be forgiving, learning to be authentic, learning to be uh, trusting of myself.
0: Oh, that's a big uh, one. <laughs> yeah. That's a big one.
1: Once we learn those ways of being, every time I'm practicing that, I'm actually nourishing my inner child.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My inner a- child's
1: happy. I'm happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean think about it. Why do we love play so much? What 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 gets activated when we, you know, when we have a game night or, you know, when we uh, when we make art?
0: Yeah, there's right. joy. Well, it gets activated. Joy that and inner freedom. That inner child and- joy,
1: that natural part, that authentic part of who we are, it just comes alive and we love that. Yeah.
0: Right? Well, we
1: can actually experience that part of ourselves in other places in our life. If we do the work. Yeah. If we really, truly learn to heal those wounds and embrace that dark side of ourselves and, and really learn the tools that we can use to support ourselves inside of that growth. Definitely. And, and it's really about having the right tools, I think.
0: Yeah. That's where a good coach or a good mentor comes in play.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah. So for our listeners who are interested in learning more about this magical 100 days work that we keep mentioning, the creative high growth process, where can they learn more about that?
1: Well, they can visit my website at Belechtop.com and learn more about the, the process. Um, the I lead the journey uh, once a year uh, in January. Um, the current cohort is, a, it's a this, the, putting the cohort together is, um, a slow process because I like to kind of handpick the people um, that can go on this journey together.
0: Who are ready for it. Cause not everyone's ready for this kind of work.
1: Not everyone's ready for it. And it is, and it's fine. I, I think that doing this kind of work is, uh, requires a, a level of ripening in a ripening as well as, courage
0: oh yes it does I think you're right I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it but it 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 is it's, it's intense and it's not for everyone but it's so um, it's so deep and goes for me it moved very quickly and um, by the end of it I felt scrubbed clean and raw but in a really good way and I know that you know, if if people, if they've never even heard of the process or they've never done any kind of introspection before and they're just beginning, I can recommend that they take my foundations of inner work because that's like dipping your toe in.
1: Yeah. And,
0: or if you're really familiar with this kind of work and you're ready to go gung ho, I would strongly recommend the creative high growth process. So that's awesome. All right. Anything else we want to cover while we're chatting there's there's so i mean i could talk about this for days and i think you can too
1: well the one thing that came to mind that i i think we could uh expand a little bit is the practice of self-love the
0: the day-to-day as it
1: as it relates to the way of being and um you know i have a formula for that the nine ways of being it's it comes from the enneagram and we can talk about that a little bit as far as the influence of the of the enneagram into the inner work because most of us are enneagram Uh, uh, What's the word? Uh, Aficionados. Aficionados. (laughs) Students and teachers.
0: Yes. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
2: Let's face it. Even if you were doing well, the pandemic threw us all for a loop. Your confidence and self-worth may be a little shakier than you're used to. You may have heard that inner work can make all the difference, but it sounds a bit fluffy or even a little scary. What exactly is inner work anyway, and who do you turn to to learn about it? That's what the Foundations of Inner Work is all about. This science-based, transformative 12-week course, led by Coach Cami, teaches you the basics of deep inner work you do on yourself, for yourself, bridging the gap between what you really want and how you can go after it. Coach Cami built this course specifically for us creatives, but it's open to everyone who wants to learn the foundations of inner work. The next cohort is starting soon. Reserve your space and learn more at Cami.coach.
0: Okay, we're back and we're going to talk about how to practice self-love.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the practice part, but not so much of the, the doing part, because the doing will be very individual to, to, to every person based on who they are. I want to talk about the practice as a way of being. Like how to how to show up in the world, how to catch myself in the act when my self-critic is is active and running the show and doing the thinking for me, and how to shift into a, Uh, more loving space that can heal me, that can help me grow and that can help me move through the world in a, in a, in a aligned way, aligned to my soul, my heart, to who I really am.
0: It's probably a way that's sustainable too, as opposed to listening to your inner critic, which is not sustainable.
1: Yeah. The, the more that I practice, um, these nine ways of being that i that I'm going to share with you, the less my inner critic um, is in control. Perfect. In, in other words, practicing these ways of being is part of the ways that I tame my inner critic, that I tame that dragon. Right. Because I, I do, the, the inner critic has, value yes we do we do need him in our lives right but we just need to learn that not everything that he says is true
0: <laughs> exactly and we need
1: to be able to to discern what is and what isn't
0: yeah to be able to so decide I've, what advice to take and want what to ignore
1: well it's about recognizing the lies <laughs> yes yes <laughs> So in order for me to recognize a lie, I need to be in a place of truth.
0: Stands to reason.
1: So my way of being, me practicing these ways of being and being aware of them and conscious of them and choosing those ways of being, right? It's not easy work.
0: That's why they call it work.
1: (laughs) That's why they call it work. (laughs) Right. But these nine ways of being are, uh, it's, it's almost like a formula that I live my life uh, by. In other words, when I'm facing a stressful moment, when my anxiety kicks in, when my fear kicks in, I can look at this, at these nine ways of being and look at and ask myself, how, which way of being can I actually now consciously choose to practice that relates to the whatever issue is going on in my life? And the answer always jumps up. It's it's very intuitive,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and those ways of being they come from the uh, the teachings of the Enneagram of Personality. Mm-hmm. The Enneagram has been a powerful personal growth tool uh, for me. First in my own journey, it still continues to be, but it also has informed the work I do in the world. A lot of the work that's in the 100 days is informed by the Enneagram. I don't really teach the Enneagram, but I tap into the wisdom that the Enneagram provides us and um, integrate it into all the other tools that I work with. But these nine ways of being uh, came from the nine domains of the Enneagram of the personality, and um, they are they require work right they require presence and they require uh the level of work that we're willing to endure especially in the beginning of the journey because you know so much of our default is a self-love deficit so we 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 know ourselves to be operating from a place of fear that's that's home base for us so by bringing these ways of being into our, into our life by practicing those ways of being, we begin to shift into fear, not being the default anymore. Yeah. You know, love begins to claim a space inside of us.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting path when you're, or an interesting journey when, when your neural pathways are, are set to default and our brains default to this is the easiest way of thinking this, this pathway of fear. And when we start to change our, our brain physically resists to that. It, it is, it is wired. It is built to make things easy and mindless so that you don't have to think about how to use a spoon, that it just, it happens. Right. But when we want to initiate change in our lives, it kind of derails us, and it makes us have to work a little harder to undo those defaults.
1: Not only undo the defaults, but create, create new, new pathways, ones. new ones, and and practice them enough, yeah, until they start becoming the defaults, default. right? Um, you know, I've been learning to play the to play the piano for the last couple of years as a the gift of COVID, and. I see this so clearly in, in the way that I'm learning how to play that the only way that I can actually master a segment of a piece that I'm practicing that in the beginning sounds completely unreachable. I mean, when my teacher plays it to me, I go, I can never play that. There's, 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 there's no way that I can ever play that.
0: That's your inner critic. Is, oh, yeah. My
1: inner critic just kicks in right away. My, my self-worth, you know, it's that, that deficit kicks in. It's just amazing what a trigger that, that was for me in the beginning when I started yeah. the process of learning to play. But I quickly learned that if I really slow down enough to take a look at that challenging piece of music and practice it with forgiving myself, in the process for not getting it right on the first try. Right. And for slowing down enough to be able to really break it down and listen to it and understand what kind of muscles need to be used. There's a new muscles in my fingers that I've never used before. And, and, and it hurts, <laughs> you know, <laughs> after a while. Yeah. But the more I practice these little pieces, these segments, the more I pay attention to the challenging parts in the piece, uh-huh. one challenging part at a time, I begin to master those, those challenges, and now I'm playing those pieces what I've been thinking about them. It's become my de- the default. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you know, this, this one piece that I'm working right now, I've been working on it for a year, wow. and I still don't have it right. It is an incredibly difficult, challenging piece for me to learn. But at the same time, I, I'm blown away at what I've managed to accomplish just by slowing it down enough and just just doing the work and okay. trusting that it naturally happens that all of a sudden I'm playing that part without even thinking about it.
0: Yeah, that kind now. of patience is beautiful.
1: Yeah, and it's it's part of the nine ways of being that I have to bring into that part of myself, that part of that activity, that part of creative growth that I want to experience in my life. The nine ways of being
0: nine ways of being let's hear him.
1: Let's hear him. I'll just, I'll just list them off for you and we can pick and pick maybe one or two to, to, uh, uh, bring into focus, to sharpen a little bit. So be forgiving, be selfish, be authentic, be grateful, be engaged, be trusting. Be still. Mm. Be vulnerable, and be bold.
2: Nice.
0: Those are all of the nine Enneagrams. As I, as you say them, I, I was like, "Oh, that's all." Yep, that's all of them. Let's, well, they let's come go through from those. the
1: enneagram domains. So, the first one, be forgiving, comes from the domain of of the enneagram style one, the perfectionist who's continuously judging themselves and pushing themselves and, and being forgiving to themselves is hard work. Yeah. And this is why for, for, Enneagram ones being forgiving is learning to be forgiving to themselves first is their path of growth.
0: Yeah. I think of the Enneagram and, and I, and I released them. I think episode two is all about the Enneagram as mapped onto the Winnie the Pooh characters.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: And Enneagram One's a rabbit, yeah. and if you think about rabbit being such a perfectionist, rabbit could definitely grow from learning how to be forgiving.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Enneagram style two teaches us to be selfish. It's their it's their path of growth. And when I'm when I say selfish, right, I'm really talking about practicing putting myself first, practicing self care. So Enneagram two teaches us to be selfish. And when I say selfish, um, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean it in a positive way. In other words, I put myself first. I care for myself. Um, I help myself before I help others. I put myself in a position of importance in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. That is, that takes work. Very much so. So, uh, and any three teaches us to be authentic Enneagram threes are um, really good at creating an image in the world of who they want others to believe that they are, and oftentimes they create that image and live into that image and believe that image uh, until they, you know, meet themselves one day they <laughs> with, with an empty soul. Yes, like, my, my experience the- was I'm an Enneagram three by myself, and. And that was my big aha moment when I realized, wait a minute, who am I? <laughs> who am I really without the image, without uh, the, the story that I so meticulously crafted of who I wanted the world to believe that I am, right? So being authentic, that's my path of growth, to always um, express the real part of me versus the... Projected part of me that I so masterfully can uh, can do. Mm-hmm, you know,
2: this mm-hmm.
0: is this
1: is why we threes make really great marketers. <laughs> yep,
0: and crafting images you're good at.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know the creative industry is is the the two most common um, enneagram types I, I've met over the years are threes and sevens. You know, mm-hmm. there's
0: I get a lot of fours, lots yeah. of fours. The yeah. creative, the yeah. artistic, the the burdened souls. So, fours mm. are. Um, well,
1: fours, are, they are the individual, the romantic.
0: But what, what was the, the statement for four? They
1: teach us to be grateful. Grateful. Right. Because if we're not grateful, we're walking around the world with a very high expectation.
0: Makes sense.
1: And we, and because we have that expectation, we tend to be disappointed. And that expectation, especially of ourselves, of a way that we want to be seen in the world. Yeah. So learning to be grateful is a practice.
0: Oh, very much so. Yeah,
1: you know, and not only to just, you know, again, it's not just a, a a mind thing; it's also a heart thing to really feel the gratitude, to to slow down enough in our lives to feel the gratitude and acknowledge it and live from a place of ongoing gratitude.
0: Yeah. Gratitude has been the seed that has grown all of the other amazing things and, and, and state and ways of being in my life. And I, and I love that you bring it to heart because we have about 40,000 neurons in our heart. Yeah. And um, I like to also include gut because we have millions of neurons in our gut and our gut is responsible for, a lot of our hormones that adjust and balance our moods and if we involve our entire body in the thinking process and in the in the achieving a state of gratitude process allowing your entire body to feel that gratitude and, and it just it feels so good in your entire body
1: that's beautifully said enneagram type five they teach us to be engaged because enneagram fives called the investigator they tend to experience the world through observing the world first and that that creates a very isolated way of being and that's where we most of us that is the place that most of us experience loneliness very much so so i need to teach myself to be more engaged but engaged in a authentic way See how they—that's how they work. Begin to work together. These ways of being. Yeah. So when I'm engaged with the world in an authentic way, I'm practicing self-love.
0: Yep. Right. Engaging in curiosity and um, leading with curiosity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Enneagram sixes teach us to be trusting. Mm. To trust ourselves. To trust our own uh, inner wisdom. Mm-hmm. Any of them sixes are called the loyalists. And oftentimes um, they will rely on external uh, voice, somebody from the outside, somebody in, in, in a power position to uh, help them really understand who they are or live their lives or make decisions because they're very fear driven, can be very fear driven.
0: Yeah. Right. They're security so, oriented. they um, safety and security is what yes. they look for. So
2: yes.
1: uh learning to be to trust myself and my own decisions, well for six is it sixes it's their path of growth because it's their heart, the hardest work, but yes. they teach us how to do that. Yeah. Right. And you're gonna sevens teach us how to be still. The sevens are called the Adventurer, they Like I said, the most the most common enneagram style that that uh, um, that I've coached over the last you know fifteen years have been sevens. They're high level of sevens in our industry. There's a combination of creativity and independence and problem solving that just all works really well together. So being a creative professional fits right into that. But they also um, are all about speed, and fast, and and instant gratification. And <laughs> yep. the one thing that they struggle with most is having patience. So, learning to be still is mm-hmm. to slow down. Is what Enneagram Seven teach us, you know, and that's nice. their path of growth. You know, Very I always tell so. my Enneagram Seven students, the Dalai Lama is a Seven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Really? So
1: here's a role model for you of somebody who can be an amazing influence on the world and teach the world how to slow down.
0: I had no time. idea the Dalai Lama was a seven. Yeah.
1: So learning to slow down—that's self-love. Mm-hmm. When I slow down, and again, it looks very much the way it looks to me it would look very different the way that you slow down in your life so it's first about it's learning on what that feels like like my inner rhythm yeah I have to consciously work on that right but the more I do the 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 more my rhythm changes to align with my soul and my essence, you know, mm-hmm. my, my, my rhythm doesn't, uh, doesn't need to be uh, fast yeah. and quick and instant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Enneagrams eights teach us to be vulnerable. Enneagram eights, they're called, you know, the leader, the boss, they're
0: the, challengers. the
1: challenger, right? They're powerful people. And they don't like to show weakness. They believe the vulnerability is showing weakness, but that vulnerability is actually where their power lies. And uh when, when they express it and when they when, when we're able to witness that level of vulnerability, it is incredibly beautiful and moving. And empowering no mm-hmm. yeah. so for me to be vulnerable with people in my life also with myself right oh yeah it it creates a this is this is where uh, the the juiciness of intimacy lies
0: oh very much so yeah. you can't have intimacy without vulnerability yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so the vulnerability part First of all being vulnerable with my being vulnerable with myself teaches me so much about intimacy because that creates trust in myself as well at the same time yep. and and it, it helps me connect to my authenticity being authentic so that level of intimacy is self love is being able to really feel the safety around sharing my heart with the world
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, Vulner- I'm an Enneagram 8 so vulnerability has definitely been my path of growth. And every time I feel that uncomfortable oh this is I have to get vulnerable I need to it's like I don't have to I get to.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. That's that's the difference. That when we're when we've embraced this work, when, we've, when we when we have embraced our shadow.
0: Yeah. Our eight, when we, befri- our, when we
1: befriended our, our shadow or our dragon, as I like yeah. to call it.
0: Our eight wholeness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's great
0: for us eights. We are known as eight holes <laughs> and our worst. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. When we embrace that part of ourselves and feel safe enough to express it in the world, magic happens. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is the magic of the the 100 days of creative high growth process is the vulnerability that uh, everyone in the cohort gets to uh, experience with, you know, strangers, essentially.
0: Yeah, the, the there's magic that happens inside a cohort and it's really hard to explain to other people. But and it's not something you could even plan for because it's not ever what you think is going to happen it's always something that you're surprised by
1: right yeah people relate to vulnerability it's something that i actually um, have to remind myself especially when i write you know and there's a lot of writing that we do in the side of this work a lot of teaching that we do and that's something i always have to remind myself every time i sit down to write is be vulnerable because people relate to vulnerability
0: that's how you connect
1: yeah, that's how we connect. That's
0: your extension cord to other people,
1: <laughs> right? Well said. And the uh, the last way of being that uh, that is p- part of the set that I use as a kind of formula in my life to a life of well being is learning to be bold in some areas. And your game nines are called the peacemakers. They're you know they're amazing people who are able to um, really see the big picture in a very easy way. And um, they have, you know, they, they sit at the top of the Enneagram, you know, they're considered to be holy love up there. What they, what they are here to teach us is their path of growth. Their, the courage that they need to muster up, to be bold and to speak up and to show up and to, Uh, own their Mm -hmm. own themselves in a way rather than erase themselves, which happens a lot for nines is the self-erasure process. It's so automatic. And the being bold, you know, I'm not talking about big life decisions that we need to be making. Those are in there as well to a degree, but I'm talking about being bold and, you know, having that conversation that I need to have that crucial conversation that I need to have with someone, uh, um, or, or, taking a, uh, a an action in my work that um, may feel uncomfortable, you know, for a lot of people, it's the marketing part of their of their work of their business. Boldness has to be present inside of that space. You mm-hmm. know, marketing with no boldness is is ultimately weak.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it fades in. It, it sounds like everybody else's.
1: Yeah, so learning to be bold in my own life to for me to catch myself Oh, what am I racing myself here? Am I, um, you know, am I in this issue or in this problem for way too long? And then there's, is there a bold choice that I need to make in order to move through this, even though this choice is uh, scary yeah. and may bring consequences that I don't want to have? Well, yes. self-love means that I'm okay with taking that bold, bold, making that bold choice or making that bold move because it's for the sake of my mental health. It's for the sake of my well-being.
0: Yeah, you're not playing well-being. it small to play it safe.
1: Right. So being able to identify those areas, that's where the work is. That's where the the tools that I needed to to learn to be able to recognize when I am, not being forgiving or when I'm not being authentic or when I'm going too fast or when I'm racing myself or not asking for what I'm worth, you know, those, that's the work.
0: Yeah. It's amazing how much the Enneagram, how much each of us are all of the parts of the Enneagram at some point. It's not like, oh, I'm an eight and I'm only an eight we all, it's like, depending on the situation, it's all contextual. And how am I feeling that day? Am I feeling threatened or am I feeling safe? Am I feeling myself or am I feeling pressured into being someone else? And that's how you respond in the world. And understanding that the Enneagram is a great guide. It's a great starting place, but ultimately it doesn't have any answers outside of your own self. You can use it as a tool and a guide, but (laughs) there's no, there's no, you know, written prescription for for your specific needs or your specific wounds. But but the journey ahead of you might, you know, you might get an idea of, hmm, if I'm an eight hole, then vulnerability is my path of growth. Okay, let's explore that. (laughs) That's good. That's a good starting place.
1: I'd like to think of the Enneagram as a really powerful diagnostic tool, Mm -hmm. most of all. And when... When I began my Enneagram path, as I'm sure most people do, we begin the path by really concentrating on our own style and our own type. Ooh, let me understand how I'm, I'm a three and, and how to heal as a three. And we really dive in into that particular space because that will always be home base for us. Yeah. That's like the, the foundation of how our personality was formed. But the more that we do this work, the more that we practice these nine ways of being, what begins to happen is that we begin to gain access to all the other points of the Enneagram. We begin to get in touch with the gifts of all of the nine types, right? And we begin to really recognize that we have a, an incredible, powerful treasure chest inside of us that that when when we're operating from a, a place of love we're able to tap into all of those gifts on a regular basis it begins to become more of our default
0: yep things right. that were on autopilot before things that were subconscious are now conscious and that you're right. choosing
1: yeah it's an amazing tool and uh i feel it's one of the biggest gifts that i've received and my own personal growth uh, journey amongst some other powerful ones, but it has been a, a uh, major influence on, uh, on the work that I do in the world.
0: I can see why I can see why. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this.
1: Yeah, this was fun. Thank you.
0: I really enjoyed saying the abundance prayer to start us off. Wouldn't it be fun if you said it to finish this up?
1: Yeah, let's, let's, uh, Let's connect to Divine Love one more time to remind us uh, who we are. Abundance Prayer. Divine Love, allow me to give with complete ease and abundance, knowing that you are the unlimited source of all. Let me be an easy, open conduit for your prosperity. Let me trust that all my own needs are always met in amazing ways and that it's safe to give freely as my heart guides. And equally, let me feel wildly open to receiving. May I know my own value, beauty, and worthiness without question. Let me allow others the supreme pleasure of giving to me. May I feel worthy. To receive in every possible way, change me into one who can fully love, forgive, and accept myself so I may carry love without restriction. Let everything that needs to go, go. Let everything that needs to come, come. I am utterly your own. You are me. I am you. We are one. All is well and all is full of love. (sighs) Perfect. Thanks, Cami.
0: Mm. Thank you. For more good juju, visit cami.coach. C A M I.coach.